Welcome to the King's Cast, dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. Thank you, Jerry. Good morning, church. Good morning to everyone coming with us for the first time. And uh, for those of you worshipping online, so, why it's Mother's Day? Hmm. I have so many eyes looking at me, why is he going to say about the mothers? You dare not say something wrong. <laughs> the church recognizes the mother, thank you patience for that prayer. And um, mothers, women have always been a great contributor to the kingdom of God, to what God is trying to do, to what God is doing, to what God will do. And so, you know, we continue to honor mothers, not just today, but uh, there are so many women in our church who are getting tirelessly involved in ministry, supporting the work of God, of Christ in this church, in this season, before. We have Jane Kavanagh in our midst, so we want also to acknowledge her as well. Why don't we acknowledge Jane as well? Right, so Jane has been so much involved and is very much part of the life of this church with, uh, with Peter, obviously. But, uh, you know, to all the women, we say thank you. We say thank you for what God is doing through you and what God is yet to do in your life. So today is not going to be a message around Mother's Day. Okay, so bear with me. It's actually a very disjointed message. I guess there is a message from the Lord for each and every one of us. And um, I, I guess where I want to start with... As we've prayed, they, and uh, I can't thank um, Ama and the team enough for some of the songs that they brought forward this morning. I like when I come in and I don't know what to expect from the choir because some some of the worship, some of the songs that are being sung is almost as if God is reinforcing that indeed that word was for for the season, for this time. And for two of the songs at least, I got the confirmation that this message, which I struggled with, is actually the message for today. And um, Pastor Peter came last week, um, and he talked a little bit around some of the challenges that, you know, Paul had, really. Uh, we understood some of the challenges. He brought it very beautifully. And the week before, I mean, the last time I preached, I, I was talking about hope, right? I was talking about hope. And today I want to talk, and I believe that God wants to talk to you about um, disappointments and how to manage disappointment. Because... If you look at your life, if you look at what's happening today in the world, if you look at things around you, or sometimes even within your own home, there are so many things that will come and bring disappointment, all right? Uh, disappointment sometimes happens only by virtue of you facing the outcome of decisions that people make on your behalf. Some of you are disappointed very much about government, government policy. Others are disappointed around uh, maybe the finances, the state of, you know, your own finances, or some of the choices that we have made in the past. We may be disappointed about that. Some of us are disappointed because, you know, we had an expectation, and, and it's fine to have expectation. We have expectation of where we should be, where we have an expectation of what we should be doing at this stage, you know, every time it is your birthday, you start thinking, the clock is ticking, but the reality is like, you have actually almost a narrow view around where you should be, what you should have accomplished, what you should have done. And sometimes there is a big disconnect. You know, there is such a thing as mind the gap, because that disconnect sometimes dictates how, how your heart responds. 
Your heart responds to things that happen. Your heart responds to things that it sees and also for things that it hears. And sometimes for things that it cannot even control. Yet, God is asking for a godly response. Amen. So we looked into that today. I want to break through some of the scripture in the Bible which I feel are relevant. And we will try to look primarily at one of the stories which I feel is encouraging me time and time again when I go through disappointment. Because even this week, I had disappointment. Even as of Friday, I had disappointment. Even as of yesterday. Right? And so this disappointment, it depends very much on how we take them. We can take them too much to heart, and therefore we respond accordingly. Or we can take them and say, okay, what can I do? Or what worse can happen? What is the worst case scenario? Okay? And then we can also say, okay, I can't do anything. This is what we call exogenous factors. I can't control it, but yet I have to deal with it. Lord, what will you have me do? And that's what I want to look at the story of Nehemiah. Because when we look at the story of Nehemiah, he's not just a leader. He starts as a cupbearer for the king. And there is such a background story into that narrative because he is so instrumental into what God is trying to do for his kingdom. Remember, God is always about his kingdom. And each and every one of you, we are all part of his kingdom, part of his purpose, right? But Nehemiah has a response. He has a response to what he hears, to what he sees, and we want to break into that. Because God has ordained a number of things for Nehemiah to do. And Nehemiah responds accordingly. He does not look at his position. He does not look at how high or how low he is. He looks at the fact that he's been commissioned for a time such as this. So you have disappointment. That's okay. How do you handle disappointment? That's a question mark. And we are all responsible for that. Sometimes even collective responsibility is at the forefront of that. But before I delve into Nehemiah, I want to touch on Psalm 42. If the team can bring that up. The Psalm 42 is quite interesting. And I want to touch on Psalm 42. I will read from verse 1 to the end of that psalm because we want to bring stuff in there. So he starts saying, As the deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, God. We are all sitting here today longing for the Lord, longing for more of him, more of his power, more of his favor, more of his guidance. But he starts saying that. I thirst for God, the living God, when I can go, where can I go, stand before him. He said, day and night, I only have tears for food. While my enemies continually taunt me, saying, where is God? Where is this God of yours? Many people in your life will come and say, where is this God of yours? This situation comes up and you don't know what to say. They say, where is this God? One of the first comments you say about the situation or you hear is, where is your God? Surely you go to church. Surely you pray. Surely you fast. But this is happening to you. Are you sure you are in God? Are you sure God is alive? Are you sure he can help? And you hear that and respond with doubt. But then David comes there and said, listen, verse 4. He said, my heart is breaking as I remember how it used to be. My heart is breaking. Some of us you are sitting today and our hearts are breaking. Not because of necessarily what we see the future to be, but because we are so full of what is today. He said, for we remember the things that used to be. Jerry said that we are praying for a new pastor, we are longing for a new pastor, we are striving for a new pastor, the board and leaders are doing what they need to do, and since August we have been on the journey to try recruiting a new pastor. Where is the man of God? Where is he? And some of us are becoming a bit fidgety. 
Is there still God in the midst of his people? Actually, you are all blessed and you are all able to carry that mantle because you have the Holy Spirit of Christ in you. But he says this, my heart is breaking. I remember all the things used to be. Some people will ask, come, and they come and say, wow, this is not the church it used to be. This is not what I used to see. This is not what I used to taste. And the heart is breaking. And he goes, I walked among the crowds of worshiper. I was leading a great procession. Signs and wonders were happening. I was in the house of God. I was singing for joy and giving thanks. Amen. It was a happy day. It was almost like in a happy, clappy church. I walked among the crowds of those worshippers, right? But then he goes in five. He said, why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? Other versions say, why is my heart so disquieted within me, O Lord? You look at your situation today and you see things that you don't like. You see things that did not used to be. You look at your home, you look at your marriage, you look at your family, you see pressure coming all over the place. And this is not what it used to be. You have relationship with people, they used to be good. In fact, you used to WhatsApp each other 24-7. And now you can't even say hi over 365 days. It didn't used to be that way. You used to have relationship with children that were blooming. You could invest in them, it was happy, people were fulfilled around you. You used to be in a job where you could see clearly the path of promotion. You could see that God was with you and his hand was upon you. And he was giving you ten times more wisdom than any of your colleagues, including your manager. Happy days. We all want to be in that space. But then promotion doesn't come. Day one, you're one. Promotion doesn't come. You're two. And then you see, oh, come on. I'm discouraged. I'm disquieted. Then he goes this. I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again. My Savior and my God. Now, thank you, I'm deeply discouraged, but I will remember you. And I think that's an opening statement to say, thank you, Danga. I understand that those situations have come in. I've looked at the past, I look at where I am now, and my head is spinning around. And I can't get it. And I'm praying and I'm not sensing God speaking to me. In in fact, sometimes you do press on and it becomes a bit more blurry. You think that God has departed the house. God has departed the fellowship. God has departed the family. David said something. I will praise him again, my Savior and my God. In other words, he's saying that the response to my disquietness, the response to the way my heart is going, you know, it is to praise God again. Not to praise God the first time. He said again. Which means there is a cycle of ongoing praise that goes on in his life. Which means that he will not give up on the praises of God, no matter what is happening. We talked about hope a few weeks ago. And that is exactly how it translates into the life of David. Because we know what David has called. True. We know the challenges that he's faced. But come on, why do we look at David? Should we look at our own life now? Because that's what it is about. He knows, God knows, Jesus knows that we will face things in this world. He says, take heart. Take heart. In other words, do not look at the things that you see as though they are. Shift your focus from what you see to what I say. Remember not to be disheartened, because I can do all things. Because I am your God. Because I care about you. I have written you 
on the palms of my hands. Because your future is already planned. <coughs> I remember Pastor Peter, and I've listened because I was doing the Treasure Kids last week, so I, I wasn't in, you know, in the auditorium, but I, I listened online. And he was very straightforward, saying, stop telling people everything will be well for them. That's not what we ought to tell people. Who remembers that? Because we're all told everything will be well for you. But that's not what the kingdom dynamics is about. The kingdom dynamic is about following God. In the midst of challenges, in the mountaintop, on the mountaintop, and in the valley. It is about praising God. And that's why he says that although I'm deeply discouraged, it's not something on the surface. It eats me from the inside. What I see, what I hear is eating me. I have no solution, but I have a response. And that response is not about the bank account. That response is not about the health condition. That response is not about the size of my expectation. That response is a direct obedience to God, to praise him. We have been created as worshiper of his royalty, to declare of God, to declare the praise of him who has called us. Amen? And let's open our Bible now to the book of Nehemiah, because I think it's quite telling. And I will, you know, choose some scriptures. I will want to read, so please be prepared. I will want to read a few verses. So when we look at Nehemiah, again, I will read from chapter 1. Let's look from chapter 1. He says, the word of Nehemiah, son of Ah. Kalia. Now it happened in the month of Chislev, in the 20th year while I was in Susa, the capital, that Anani, one of my brothers and some men from Judah came and I asked them concerning the Jews. So he inquires about them. He inquires about the people who have escaped, who had survived the captivity, and he asked about Jerusalem. Verse 3 says, they say to me, the remnant, the people who are the leftovers from that terrible attack, those remnants they are in the province. They survived the captivity. So they should actually be praising God that they survived the captivity. Shouldn't? When there is a near miss, you are actually happy that you escaped. When you were meant to be bound or when you were meant to be killed and you are not in that position, you should be full of praise. But listen to the report. He said they are in great distress. There is distress among the people of God. And God has done miracles because somehow they are the remnant. They are people who have overcome by virtue of God's intervention. He's kept them out of a people that was, some people died, but he kept them, and yet they are in such a great distress. And then there is reproach. The reproach is not from themselves, it's come from the enemy. It comes from the adversary. It comes from those who have made them captive. Where is your God? And the walls of Jerusalem, the great city, it's broken down. There is no way to repair it. It is burned down with fire. In other words, there is no hope. In other words, forget about expectation of going back to Jerusalem, expectation of singing again, of being in the midst of a great celebration to God. There is nothing to celebrate. This is the background. There is just nothing. The enemy has completely brought everything down. Then verse 4, when I heard these words, I sat down, and I wept, and I mourned for days. The first response that you get for challenging situations, things that you have no clue about, but that affect you enough, is a human reaction, to cry, to, de- to deeply weep. And that's what Nehemiah does. Listen, when you weep and when you cry, it doesn't mean that God is not with you. 
It doesn't mean that God has forgotten about you. But if God should say that, weep with those who weep, mourn with those who mourn, it means that God is mindful that this is a response that needs to happen because the shock is coming and there is an emotional response at first. And then when he comes next, he says, then I mourn four days. So it didn't take one day, it took days. Assume weeks. And he said, and I was fasting. And I was praying before the God of heaven. Listen. Fasting and praying from Nehemiah is a direct response to what is heard. Let's open the book of First Samuel. I want to show you somebody in the Bible. And since we are in Mother's Day, we can talk about women of words. So Samuel, let's look into that. And I want to maybe do a slight deviation to talk about Hannah. Because she has a similar type of response. Remember the response, we are talking about the response that is needed when disappointment comes knocking. Okay? And so Elkanah, he has wives. He's a flourishing man, he has wife, he has children, everything works well for him. But one of his wives is childless. She can't bear a child. She's barren. Verse 2 says, Elkanah had two wives. The name of one was Anna. The second one was Peninia. Peninia had children. Anna had no children. We didn't say, the Bible doesn't say how long she didn't have children. The Bible doesn't say how much time she tried to have children. The Bible doesn't recall the, how many prayers she has made to the Lord for children. The Bible doesn't recall the frustration and how she's handled that. Only a snippet that we see that she had no children. But this man will go up from this city yearly to worship. So they were believers. They knew their God. The Bible says would the, would the people who know their God will carry out great exploit. In that situation, it seems that Anna can carry out great exploit. Her husband can carry out great exploit. But he used to go and worship. He sacrificed to the Lord in Shiloh. He has children. Verse 4. The day came, Elkanah sacrificed a wool, give portion to Peninia, one of his wives, and to all her sons and daughters, to Anna, he will give a double portion. When material gifting does not actually bring back joy because of the sorrowfulness of the soul. And he will give double portion, verse 6, verse 5. Anna will give double portion for her. He loved Anna, but the Lord has closed her womb. So where Anna was sitting, she was actually a woman who was subject to the Lord himself closing a womb. You know, there are certain situations that happen in your life and you don't understand that it is God. You don't understand that God is allowing it. He's not punishing you, but he's just allowing it. Sometimes it's allowing it for, so that we can grow, so that we can get closer to him, so that he allows the disappointment to last longer than you anticipated. I say, mind the gap of the expectation versus what you are seeing. Because the reality does not mean that God is not there. The reality does not mean that God has forsaken you. But she is not seeing it. There is a big gap here. And he gives double portion for Hannah. But he has closed her womb. And what happened in that time? Again, we don't have the longevity. We don't have the duration. Think about her, Hannah, being taunted every day by a rival, by Peninia. Boo, you don't have children. You know, don't talk to me or my children will be and they will take the land and they will be prosperous where you have nobody. That's what the enemy comes and does and turns the children of Israel and turns the children of God. 
So we can decide to hear it or we can decide to do something else. It happened year after year, verse 7. Year after year, this situation happened. Talk about perseverance. She often went to the house of the Lord. She would provoke her. So she wept. Anna wept. She will not eat. First response, emotional response. She wept. She will not eat. She's not eating because she's separating herself to God. She's eating because she's hurt. She's, she's not eating because, you know, she wants to lose a few pounds. She's not eating because she can't. There is no joy. There is no appetite. She almost lets her life go. And some of us, sometimes we do that as a response to disappointment. Now, ask, let me ask you, where you sit today? What disappointment is triggering that response? Because it's not a godly response. It's a human response, but you can't linger where it is. And there we go. Elkanah, her husband, comes to her. Thank God there is still fellowship in the house. There are some men who walk away from their women because they can't have children. Sad story. They even go to IVF and they can't have children and they say, no, it's not my problem. It's your problem. You are the one not giving me children. They walk off. That's a sad response. Better for worse. And then the worse is like, I walk away from my wife. You know, we have to praise mothers. We have to praise women. We have to actually honor them. Because they go through a lot. Okay? How can her husband say to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? Why is your heart sad? It's a matter of the heart. Am I not better to you than ten sons? Effectively, telling you to reconsider my wife. And before you, I will not leave you. I will not turn away from you. I will not forsake you. I've committed to you and I will be there supporting you. The highs and the low matter not for me. This is the virtuous husband. You see, I'm there with you. We are in this together. Then Hannah rose after eating and drinking. Verse 9 is where things tip. She eats, she drinks. You know what triggered it? The voice and the message from her husband. Men, stop saying nasty things to your wife. Stop saying nasty things to the mothers of your children. Be careful about what you say, and I'm talking about myself too. We need to, we have a responsibility to edify each other. Right? She hears what the husband says, and then she starts eating and drinking. And then what's happening is that Eli, the priest, was sitting, sit by the doorpost and then start talking to her. You see, she was greatly distressed, praying to the Lord, and she wept bitterly. So she kept on praying. She decided to turn away from crying because of Peninia's harassment to crying to the Lord. That's the shift. That's the tilt. She changes the approach. She still weeps, but she doesn't weep the same way. She doesn't weep toward the same goal. She weeps. She weeps towards God. So that, Lord, you understand my situation. If you are too ill, please cry out to God. If you don't know where you are going, cry out to God. If you are hurt, cry out to God. Don't cry about the situation. Cry about the whole God who has the solution. His dot is in his hand. Again, I keep on reemphasizing it. One of the first things that I always learn about God is that he tells me that my hand is just not shortened. You can never be short enough to help you. You can never be weak enough to hold you. That's the God that we serve. And so far she, she tilts, you see. So we have something like a commonality between Nehemiah. We're coming as a leader and we're seeing that the enemy is taunting his people and we see that there is no hope. And Hannah, who is there looking at providing, actually she will be the one, the mother of Samuel, but she will be the one that God will use greatly at the point where she tilts her answer from the situation to her God. And I think that's what we want to do. You know, there will always be challenging uh, situations. There will always be everybody, each of every one of us can go to Psalm 42 and say, our soul is disquieted. And I've been there. I mean, as of yesterday night, I almost, uh, you know, think <laughs> I'm not doing a show up. I'm doing a runner from being at the pulpit. Are you serious? 
he was the receiver, <laughs> sitting there quiet. But he was hearing me, always quiet and always a good brother. Having words of encouragement. We feel discouraged and it's normal to feel discouraged. Ongoing discouragement is not normal. That's what I'm saying to you. Because there is a godly response, there is a godly perspective, there is a godly lens. We just need to take it up. And Anna has decided to do that. So if we go back to Nehemiah, I just want to bring from, we were in chapter 1. And so, from verse 5, I said, I beseech you, O Lord. That's where he prays. And the, the quality of your prayer, remember, is always between you and God. You are not there to show how astute you are in praying. You have to demonstrate to God that you are hungry enough for him to repeatedly come before him praying. Okay? He said, I beseech you, God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who preserve the covenant and loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandment. He's actually reminding God that you have actually made a covenant with your people. He's actually reminding God that you see where we are as a people. It is not a nice story to go to write in the, in, in the Times newspaper. It is a story that we want to do away with. We can't advertise that God. We are being mocked. We are being actually slaughtered. We are being attacked. We, where are you? But we remember your covenant. Please, Lord, remember your covenant. When you are a child of God, you can go to God and say, Daddy, remember your covenant. Do you know when your child comes to you? Say, you know, sometimes I want to punish my son. And he's like, no, you won't do it. I'm like, you're, you're there telling me that. You're this small boy. And he's like, oh, I know you won't do it because you love me. Uh, and my wife is like, yes, daddy, you love him. And I'm like, okay, fine. But it's exactly who we are. If we know our God, we can come and approach him as we are. He said, let the children come to me. You children, I want you to come to me. Mothers do that every day. We say everything to them, but sometimes the children do a runners to the mothers. Sometimes the children mess enough that they know the voice of the mom. They run away, they hide. They don't want to come near the mom. When they know they've made decision that the mom warned them, Moms are patient. <laughs> they warned them over the years that this will happen if you do not take that decision, if you do not act wisely, if you are not organized, if you are not disciplined, if you do not know how to manage your finances. But when they make wrong decisions, we've all done that. We run away from mom, I mean, let alone dad. We will run away. And moms are patient because they will continue to pursue the kids to say, listen, it's okay, come back. I love you enough. I love you enough. Not that I accept all the nonsense. But I love you enough to scold you and still to embrace you. And God does not spare the rod of correction, but he loves us enough that we ought to stand by who we are in Christ Jesus. We are the call of God. We are the people of his pasture. We need to remember that. Please put that in your fridge, in front of your fridge. Put that on your pillow. When you go to bed, remind yourself who you are in Christ Jesus. Because if you remember... And if you remind yourself of the disappointment of the day, the disappointment of the season, the disappointment that is actually just making headways into your life, eating a little bit more at the faith level, eating a little bit more at your countenance and your, your confidence in Christ, you will sleep and you will wake up differently. Because when you wake up, you see the cloud. Remember? Anna was, she was weeping. So she could have decided to just see a situation to the tears of bitterness. She decided to look at her situation through the lens of being a child of God. And that's what God wants us to do. And that's what the purpose of this message is today. 
Verse 6, he said, let your ear now be attentive and your eyes be open to hear the prayer of your servant. That's beautiful. Then we go to the chapter 2. And we see that Nehemiah continues to pray. So he's ongoing, right? We don't understand. We don't know when, when the response is given. Later on, we find out that God answered. But chapter 2 is telling us something. He then asks, there is a call to action. Remember, you pray, but there is a call to action. The call to action is prayed, is heard from God, go and approach the king. So he doesn't sit there and say, the Lord will send angels and they will deliver me. There is something that he does. And he goes and speaks to King Artharsus and says, listen, the king sees him. He's having a bit of wine, a bit of nice time, but he sees that his cup bearer is sad. The sadness of your heart will be evident because it's from the heart. And when elderly comes and say, how are you? Please don't, don't duck. Just say, that's my situation. Could you please pray for me? When a sister in the church, a brother in the church come and sees you with that countenance, allow yourself to be open. It can't go wrong. Because we are there to strengthen the body. We are here to, to sharpen one another, to be each other's keeper, the brother's keeper, the sister's keeper. We are here to be, you know, somebody who, like Elkanah spoke to his wife, speaking a word that will defeat the purpose of the enemy in the life of the other. So allow yourself to be vulnerable. I'm not saying, you know, allow yourself for gossip, but allow yourself to be vulnerable. Allow yourself to be prayed for. Allow yourself to be encouraged. You can't disconnect we talk about the gathering of the brethren every time. We can't, we can't run away from that. There is value in that. Okay? And so he sees the, the king sees him and says, okay, why is your, your face is sad? And are, you are not sick. You haven't asked for a fit note. You are not going to the GP. What's happening to you? They like, oh, well, why should I, my face not be like this when the situation around me, the situation of my people is like this? And that's a reasonable excuse. But he doesn't linger there. He said, what would you request in verse 4? Look at the next one. So I pray to the God of heaven. Situation will dictate sometime and you think that you see a breakthrough. He could have thought he saw a breakthrough because the king has come and has actually yielded to his demand without him making it official. The king is clearly, what do you want me to do for you? Jesus told the man, oh, son of David, son of David, have mercy on me. He said, what do you want me to do for you? Oh, that I may see, that I may see clearly. You are crying out to God day and night. That's fine. But Christ, he said, what does my son want me to do for him? What does my daughter want me to do for her? The king is asking that. But look at the response. He never delves and says, I want you to do this for me. No, 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 no. Go back. What does he say? He says, so I pray to the God of heaven. So I pray. Hold on. Somebody is asking a question and you don't need to answer it immediately. Pause and do what is right. You know what you need, but God knows how you need to articulate it. God knows what you will say that will touch the heart. It's all also, oh, if I get favor from God, I will get favor from men. Of course you will. But God's response dictates that he doesn't give the response before inquiring of God. Lord, you've seen my situation and you know the best avenue for the solution. What is it? And Nehemiah goes back and he inquired for his God before he gave the response to after success. That's important. And so he prayed to the God of heaven, and verse 5, then he said to the king, if it pleases you, then let me find favor from you. I want to go and rebuild the place. And that, that takes place. So we have a number of things that we can see here, and Nehemiah goes and rebuild the wall, start the work, and as people around it, 
around him to start rebuilding the work, the, the, the walls. And, and they go on to that for, for many years. Let's open to chapter 4, please. So those people are going down. They are doing whatever they can to rebuild the walls. It's a godly work. It has a number of people who are happy to work because the Bible recalls that they were all of the same mind. They were all happy to work to the rebuilding of the walls. Chapter 4 is again a spanner in the works. Sometimes you will go on and find that God started acting on your behalf and things started moving. You can see, you can perceive, you can sense, you can smell it. The atmosphere is changing, my breakthrough is coming. Hey ho, does it mean the enemy is sleeping? No, it doesn't. Because the enemy is not sleeping. He said that he's there like a roaring lion, seeking women may divorce, constantly trying the brethren, trying to take the faith away, trying to take the unity away, trying to take the confidence away, trying to take the health away, trying to take your prayer life away, trying to knock you out of your, your, your chair of, I believe in the Lord and everything works together for the good of those who love God. He's trying to take that every single day. It can be through relationship, it can be through family, it can be through um, things happening um, at work. And so those guys are working and they're pushing for it. But there is Sambalat, but there is Tobias. And those guys haven't got a view on what God is doing. They only think on how many they need to destroy the work of the children of God. And that's what the enemy will do. It doesn't matter how well you progress and the speed at which you go, the enemy will be there to stop you. And to take you unaware. The Bible says we are not unaware of his devices. As Pastor Peter normally says, we don't magnify the enemy, but we need to understand our position so that we can deal with the devices of the enemy. And what happens is we have a Sambalat, and look at chapter 4, verse (laughs) 1. They heard, and what they heard was a testimony. They heard the testimony of the children of God being given the mandate to rebuild the walls. And the Bible recalls, they were very upset. You can look around people who are upset when you are moving on with God. You can move around and you see people who don't understand. And because they don't understand, they make a judgment call. They will tell you, you don't know where you're going. Your God cannot move for you. And actually we will see if you go. How many visions, how many things did you have in your heart that you want to share with someone to say, the Lord is positioning me for this thing. The Lord has given me this business idea. The Lord is giving me that finance. I want to help the poor. I want to, to, to be able to, to have ministry in hospital. I want to be able to relaunch in that city. And people will come and tell you, there is no chance you can do it. It's too big a task. You can't build it for yourself. The people around you are not interested. The money you have is too little. And you look at it and you say, wow. Probably they are right. The time you start saying, probably they are right. This half second, you allow this narrative to come back into your heart. It completely destroys what God wants to do. And you know what? The head is the battleground. The mind is the battleground. And that's why you contend with those thoughts every time. And that's why the enemy wants you to be completely going away from this book so that he can tell you a narrative that is against the book, that is not of the book, and that is deviating from the book. Because you are thinking, oh, yeah... I just taken just half. That's why we call the back door. Comes through the back door. Hallelujah, Hosanna, praise the Lord. The back door. The mistake is made on a Sunday afternoon, not even on a Monday. And so they come. They are very angry and they mock the Jews. They mock the word of God. 
And then he spoke in the presence of the brothers and the wealthy men of Samaria. So they had a lot of wealthy men. And they say, what are these feeble Jews doing? You know what? They fight their battle in the physical. They are really, they are really short-sighted, I'm sorry to say. They say, these feeble Jews, yes, we may be feeble, but we are the people that God strengthens day by day. Amen? We might look like we are frail. But we know their God, we know our God, and we know that we carry out great exploits. We know that the success and the overcoming is not of us, it is because of Christ. That's what the Bible tells us. So when somebody looks at you and says, feeble, ill person, sick, you are on your deathbed. Come on, there is a God who sees, there is a God who hears, there is a God who has a purpose for each and every one of us. Pastor Peter, I'm not going to say that he will do everything that we want. I'm going to stop there. But there is a God who is so mindful of us. So mindful of us. And his plans don't move away because the enemy is taunting. His plans do not move away because we have a, a, a very skewed perception of what God is about to do. He said, even what they are building, verse 3 from chapter 4, even what they are building, if a fox should jump on it. I don't think the fox is the most heavy of the mammals. It's not. But you see, if a fox should jump on it, it will break their stone wall down. And verse 6 says, So we built the wall, and the whole wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. When you are discouraged, you need somebody to lift up your hand. You need somebody to have the togetherness attitude. You have somebody to have the spiritual mindset of the battle that you face. But you certainly have to journey with brothers and sisters, because together we are stronger. As much as the OG says that every time, it has value if you listen to what they are saying. Stronger together. Because we are not meant to be in isolation. We are meant to be a family. And this church is meant to be a family. When I came here, Jane and Peter were pastors, but the church was a family. We ought to remain a family. It doesn't matter the size of the church. It doesn't matter the congregation that come. Try to be a family. Try to ask the right question. Try to be there for each other. Try to love. And when you say, I will pray for you, please go and pray. Because when you make a commitment, it's almost as a covenant with the Lord. That, Lord, you have put me in the life of that person. I understand what they are going through. And I've decided that I will stand in the gap for them. I don't need them to see me praying for them, but I will do because I say, so let your yes be yes. And your no be no. And so that's where we stand. And Listen, they are together and they have the mind to work. Listen, we cannot give thumbs up enough to Lee, to Patience, to Jaron, and to the many of the ministry leads who for the past X number of months have been plugging in tirelessly. Now, what I'm seeing is that people are getting discouraged. Yeah, we are all getting discouraged. So I'm starting first. We are all getting discouraged. Because this getting together is fine when it works. But you see, the enemy is not how you start. It's how you finish. It's not, it doesn't bother when you come and get married to somebody and say, I do, say happy day, now I have you in my, in my radar. Because the I do, I will make sure that you actually go back and sign the divorce paper. Because he will tell you, I will make sure that it doesn't work. And he comes and attacks marriage and he comes and attacks family. The child can start life well and have, all of a sudden it's a wrong decision after wrong decision after wrong decision. We qualify that as teenage years. But God hasn't said teenage years means drama. God has said that I will hold them and they will not depart from me. Okay? When as adults you are making it and you are being elevated by God and pride comes in, then wrong decision and then it's the fall and the end of your ministry. But the Bible says that God is the repairer of the breach. He's the restorer of those things. 
So God is still able, because of grace, because of love, because of mercy. King Jerry said earlier, mercy is news every day. So he will shower that and he will bring us back. Can I... Can I just say that if you are discouraged today, no matter what it is, whether you are a ministry lead, or whether you are an elder, or whether you are a co-worker in the church, or just somebody who comes to see this congregation, disappointment happens. It's not new. They will continue to happen because that's what life is about. You have highs and you have lows. But let's try to actually map out God's purpose in our life and understand how we respond to his calling. Let's try to just take the sting out of what it is to reassess in a godly manner what God is saying. One of the things the Bible says in this we are confident that we will see and taste of the goodness of God in the land of the people who are alive. But people who are alive is not just being living and breathing. It's the people who are alive breathing God. Loving God, living under the umbrella of the Father. So in this, we have to be confident. So what does it mean? It means, again, that we cannot just rely on the fact that we are being taunted, we are being mocked. The situation is not happening the way we want in our family, with our relatives, with our loved ones. With our, we, we can't just rely on that because what, you know... <laughs> Alas, they will look at me, we look at it very much, and those who are a bit techy. When we do a kind of business process mapping, we look at the Aziz processes, and we always say it is a snapshot of what those processes are, okay? And you need to move towards where you want to be. But you need to understand, first of all, the state in which you are. Where we are is not defining us. The series of mistakes is not defining us. As long as we turn back to God, there is always an as long in the Bible. It's not a free-for-all for sin, it's not the free-for-all for mistakes. It's the repenting, it's the, the coming back to God, it's the humility, it's the desire to seek God for who he really is, who is the gracious God. And as long as we do that, God will make a way. And listen, for these children, is they're sitting there and saying, you are ridiculed, he still gives them the strength and he gives them the togetherness. So they had the mind to work and they rebuild the world. So from verse 9, they start praying to their God. And they say, because of the enemy, they set up. That's, again, another response. So the first response you've prayed. Of course, the first response is emotional, as we said. The second is to pray. The third response is to, when you even see favor coming, to still inquire of God before giving the response back. And then we can see there that together, as much as they have a response, which is the hard work, which is the plugging along, which is the being overcomer, which is the being oblivious to the pressure that are coming for the sake of the vision, for the sake of the purpose, they come in a position where they continue to pray. Brothers and sisters, if you stop praying, you are giving the enemy the high hand into your situation. If you stop praying, you are telling the enemy, I'm not an overcomer. They prayed to God. They didn't start calling around about the issue. They prayed to God. We ought to pray to God. We ought to consistently pray. The prayer of the righteous avails much. We understand we ought to pray. It's a discipline that is needed. It is a discipline that is a response, an obedient response to what God is asking so pray for your situation. Pray with intent to see God moving. Pray with faith. And they continue to pray. Listen, they say, they set up then 
a guard against them day and night. So in other words, they had wisdom. Because when you pray, you get wisdom from the Lord as a response to the situation. So they had that wisdom and they set themselves day and night. Day and night. In other words, 24-7, they set themselves for success. They set themselves, they knew that they only have one avenue, which is to continue to pray. Please don't give up prayer. The enemy wants you to give up prayer. And I'm speaking to someone today. The enemy doesn't want you to pray. He doesn't want you to have faith in God. He doesn't want you to persevere. He doesn't want you to have the perspective that God has for your life. And he will start disabling that prayer. Little by little, surely. What does the Bible say? Folding of the arms lead to poverty. Stopping of prayer will lead to? Well, it will lead to magnifying what the enemy is saying. And they started praying, verse 15. God frustrated their plans. Amen. God will frustrate the plans of your enemy. He will frustrate the plan of the enemy. He will frustrate the plans of the enemy for your life when you pray. He said, when our enemies heard that he was known to us, God will also reveal the plans of the enemy. Say, God, and that God had frustrated their plan. Then all of us, they will return to the wall, each of one, each one, sorry, to his work. From that day on, half my servants carried on the work while half of them held the spears, the shields, the bows, and the breastplates. And the captains were behind the whole house of Judah. Verse 17, those who were rebuilding the walls and those who were carried burdens took their load with one hand doing the work and the other holding a weapon. And sometimes that God is asking us to do that. Please pray, but also be tactical enough, be all strategic enough, be prayerful enough to understand that they are still scheming around. You know, the battle is never yours. The battle is never mine. The battle is that of the Lord, but there is discipline in the battlefield. There is discipline to be had. I keep on saying you can't be enlisted in the army of God. You can't be enlisted and know that there is spiritual warfare and go without your gears. That's impossible. You can't go without your walkie-talkie. You can't go without your weapon. You can't go without all these things that make you not only connected to your crew, but also in reception of the instruction of the general. You can't. So why would we want to go without praying? We are making ourselves redundant in that battlefield. And this is very serious. Please, let's not be just people who say, Hosanna, Hosanna, and forget that there is behind the scene the fact that we need to understand what we are saying. When we say Hosanna, when we say praise the Lord, when we say Lord come true. The prayers, God yes, no problem. The response that we have, this is our call to action. Because it will show us what to do. And if we are lethargic, then we will disable what God wants to do. It will tell us how to navigate it. But if we don't respond on time, then what will happen? God is mindful of us. He will bless us. That's what the Bible says. In that case, God blessed them by frustrating the plans of the enemy. He strengthened them. He made sure that they did not focus on their, their noises, and he gave them victory. And so they managed to rebuild the world, and they had victory. This is exactly one of the examples where I look at, and I see God is always at work with his children. And God will be at work in your situation. He will be at work in your life. You've got to actually look at the disappointment for the story that they tell. And the story they tell is that God will overcome. Through God, we will do valiantly. He will overcome. You will overcome because you are called overcomer. But the expectation cannot be of failure. 
The expectation cannot be misaligned with the promises of God for your life and for our community. It's got to be in sync. When it is in sync, there is no gap. Where they are not in sync, there is a gap. And the gap comes and lowers down the level of expectation and faith. We need a faith response for every situation that we had. We look at Hannah. She had a faith response. She looked unto her God, and she remembered that she would pay the vows to the Most High. She would be delivered. That's what she did. And God honored her and gave her Samuel. What is it that you are waiting for God to do for you? What is the perception that you have around your situation? What do you see that God is saying? How do you think God is leading? I'm quoting Max Lucado. He says that when God doesn't do what we want, it's not easy. He says it never has been and will never be. Faith is the conviction that God knows more than us, and he will get us through. He said disappointment is caused by unmet expectation and is cured by revamped expectation. He said don't panic, don't give up, be patient. God is in control. It ain't over until it is over. Be patient. God is in control. Be patient if things don't happen together today because they will happen together for your good. Be patient because God is not sleeping. The disciples are calling Jesus when the boat is shaken by the waves. Shaken, and they see Jesus in the boat. He's not missing. They can see him, but he's resting. So he looks, and they think, God, don't you care that we are perishing? How many of you are saying that to God at this point in time? God, Jesus, don't you care about our situation? Jesus, are you not mindful enough? Can you not hear the noises, the attacks, can you not see? Is eating me from the inside. Is taking me away. Of course. I don't have it within me. As David said, to continue to worship. And God said, oh ye of little faith. Oh ye of little faith. I never intended for these waves to take you out. I'm on that boat with you. The waters may be rough. They will be. That's the nature of things. But I am with you. In the middle of that situation, I hear the sound. I see the height of the waves. And by no means, they will undo you if you stand by faith. So what is the response that we need? Yes, is a response of faith. And I said earlier, a response of prayer. I don't want to drag this message more than necessary. I want us to really look at where we are going, how we are navigating the situation, and trusting the Lord along. You know, again, Pastor Peter again brought that message that indeed we are more than confident, you know. We press on. We press on towards the goal, the upward calling of Christ. Yes, we press on. We've talked about pressing on a few months already, a few times over the past few months. How are you pressing on today, guys? How are we pressing on as a family? How are we waiting in expectation of what God will do? We've got to to give God the glory, but we've got to be astute enough to continue on the prayer front, to continue not to give anything away to the enemy, to continue to purify ourselves, to continue to live holy life, to continue to be digging deeper. I mean, Friday, Tuesday, the, the church has now got a strong program on Bible studies, you know, let's, let's make it happen. You know, let's come out of our comfort zone. Let's come together. Uh, Jerry said, let's share with one another. Let's hear what the Lord is saying. 
let's embrace, let's continue, let's press on. That's the solution. That's a response together where we know that God's purpose will come to pass. We can't solve the end of God. But God is so loving and so caring for us that the plans that he has for us are always good. And we say, Lord, you are good. Lord, you are good. We sing it. So we believe it, but let's enact. Let's enact. Let's respond in faith. I um, just wanted to go to... Uh, Job, can you, can you open Job 14 and I will close. Can I have the team back please? Job 14 verse 9. Actually verse 7 please. <coughs> there is a story, the story of Job that we all know. And uh, there is again a faith response in terms of what Job has done. There is a faith response because the situation is that he's lost his children. He's lost um, land. He's lost everything. And the enemies around him are taunting him and saying, come on, you, you, ca- you, can't, you, ca- you, can't, you can't possibly believe God. And he takes that analogy in verse 7. He says, at least there is hope for a tree. If that tree is cut down, it will sprout again. In other words, it will grow again. And its new shoots will not fail. So there is certainty and assurance that if a tree is cut down, if discouragement cuts down that hope and that, that joy, if it takes that away, if there are situations that are so disabling that we haven't got a faith response, he says that there is hope for a tree if it is cut down, that he will sprout again. His new shoots will not be failed. He says its roots may grow old in the ground and its stump in the soil. Yet, and that's verse 9 I want us to finish with, yet, at the scent of water, yet, at the scent of water, it will bud and will grow again like a plant. What am I saying there? What is the Lord saying? Church, it's okay if things are disappointing. It's okay if the expectations are not met because maybe those expectations were never aligned with my will in the first place. There is hope. When your situation looks like a cut down tree, that at the scent of my Holy Spirit, by you allowing my Holy Spirit, the scent of water, my Holy Spirit to come through in that situation, to move with power and with purpose, there is always hope that that expectation will not be cut off, that that hope will revive, that that prophecy will come true, that that destiny will take place, that my word will be fulfilled in your life and in my church. The scent of water. Come on, let's stand up. The scent of water. The scent of the Holy Spirit. Mighty hand of God in our situation. The presence of God. There is hope. When God is around, there is hope Because God is present. There is hope. For a tree, if it is cut down, it will sprout again. Your life will continue to flourish under the anointing of the Almighty. Your house will be put back together because God is so mindful of you. The ministry has no hands. He will continue to bring souls to me.
says the Lord. And despite the fact that it sometimes looks like it is not a day of celebration, a day of joy, there is joy in the heavenlies because of you. Because of the accomplished works of Christ Jesus on the cross at Calvary. And whether you want to sing a new song unto me, or whether you want to worship me with, uh, with fresh words, I am the great I am. My word shall not tarry. Write it plain. Make the vision plain. Write it down so that you may run with it as you write it down, says the Lord. I speak and it comes to pass. Do not allow the narrative of the enemy, the narrative of disappointment to take away my word from you. We are celebrating Mother's Day. We thank God for our mothers. But God even says that when our parents forsake us, he will be that mother, he will be that, that dad, he will be that brother, he will be that helper, he will be that, that person that strengthens us, that gives us the confidence that we need for everyday's battles, that gives purpose in the midst of the storm, that reassures even the most disheartened of us. And so we want to come before God, individually and collectively, and just thank God for the fact that there is hope in Him. Thank God that even though our soul is disquieting, even though our heart is breaking, that we will not remember the former things. God is saying, I will do a new thing in your midst. Should you not see it? Surely it will come. You will surely see it. This assurance, certainty that you will see it. So continue to plug. Continue to move forward. Continue to press on. Continue to be before me and sing unto me. Give unto me songs that are sweet-smelling aroma. Prayers that are undiluted by fear. Thank you for listening and we trust that the word of God has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church or to access our large archive of other recordings, go to www.kingscambridge.org. If you're listening on iTunes, we would love you to leave us some feedback. God bless and goodbye.